Chapter Fourteen of Zanoni by Edward Bulwer Lytton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. Alch, thou always speakest riddles. Tell me if thou art that fountain of which Bernard Lord Trevisan writ. Merk, I am not that fountain, but I am the water. The fountain passeth about me. Sandivogius, New Light of Alchemy. Prince Di was not a man whom Naples could suppose to be addicted to superstitious fantasies. Still, in the south of Italy, there was then, and there still lingers a certain spirit of credulity, which may ever and anon be visible amidst the boldest dogmas of their philosophers and skeptics. In his childhood the prince had learned strange tales of the ambition, the genius, and the career of his grandsire, and secretly, perhaps influenced by an ancestral example, in earlier youth he himself had followed science. Not only through her legitimate course, but her antiquated and erratic windings. I have indeed been shown in Naples a little volume, blazoned with the arms of the Visconti, and ascribed to the nobleman I refer to which treats of alchemy in a spirit half-mocking and half-reverential. Pleasure soon distracted him from such speculations, and his talents, which were unquestionably great, were wholly perverted to extravagant intrigues, or to the embellishment of a gorgeous ostentation with something of classic grace. His immense wealth, his imperious pride, his unscrupulous and daring character, made him an object of no inconsiderable fear to a feeble and timid court and the ministers of the indolent government willingly connived at excesses which allured him at least from ambition the strange visit and yet more strange departure of Mejnour filled the breast of the neapolitan with awe and wonder against which all the haughty arrogance and learned scepticism of his mature manhood combated in vain the apparition of Mejnour served indeed to invest Zanoni with a character in which the prince had hitherto not regarded him. He felt a strange alarm at the arrival he had braved, at the foe he had provoked. When a little before his banquet he had resumed his self-possession, it was fell with gloomy resolution that he brooded over the perfidious schemes he had previously formed. He felt as if the death of the mysterious Zanoni were necessary for the preservation of his own life and if at an earlier period of their rivalry he had determined on the fate of zanoni the warnings of mejnour only served to confirm his resolve we will try if his magic can invent an antidote to the bane said he half aloud and with a stern smile as he summoned muscari to his presence the poison which the prince with his own hands mixed into the wine intended for his guest was compounded from materials the secret of which had been one of the proudest heirlooms of that able and evil race which gave to Italy her wisest and guiltiest tyrants. Its operation was quick, yet not sudden. It produced no pain. It left on the form no grim convulsion, on the skin no purpling spot to arouse suspicion. You might have cut and carved every membrane and fibre of the corpse, but the sharpest eyes of the leech could not have detected the presence of the subtle life-queller. For twelve hours the victim felt nothing save a joyous and elated exhilaration of the blood. A delicious languor followed. No lancet could then save. A plexi had run much in the families of the enemies of the Visconti. The hour of the feast arrived, the guests assembled. There were the flower of the Neapolitan Signori, 
the descendants of the Norman, the Teuton, and the Goth, for Naples had then a nobility, but derived it from the north, which has indeed been the Nutrix Leonum, the nurse of the lion-hearted chivalry of the world. Last of the guests came Zanoni, and the crowd gave way as the dazzling foreigner moved along to the lord of the palace. The prince greeted him with a meaning smile, to which Zanoni answered by a whisper, He who plays with loaded dice does not always win. The prince bit his lip, and Zanoni, passing on, seemed deep in conversation with the fawning Mascari. "'Who is the prince's heir?' asked the guest. "'A distant relation on the mother's side. With his excellency dies the male line. Is the heir present at our host's banquet? No, they are not friends. No matter, he will be here to-morrow.' Mascari stared in surprise, but the signal for the banquet was given, and the guests were marshalled to the board. As was the custom then, the feast took place not long after midday. It was a long oval hall, the whole of one side opening by a marble colonnade upon a court or garden, in which the eye rested gratefully upon cool fountains and statues of whitest marble, half sheltered by orange trees. Every art that luxury could invent to give freshness and coolness to the languid and breezeless heat of the day without had been called into existence. Artificial currents of air through the invisible tubes, silken blinds waving to and fro, as if to cheat the senses into the belief of an April wind, and miniature jets in each corner of the apartment gave to the Italians the same sense of exhilaration and comfort, which the well-drawn curtains and blazing hearth afford to the children of colder climes. The conversation was somewhat more lively and intellectual than is common amongst the languid pleasure-hunters of the South for the prince himself accomplished sought his acquaintance not only amongst the beaux esprits of his own country but amongst the gay foreigners who adorned and relieved the monotony of the neapolitan circles there were present two or three of the brilliant frenchmen of the old regime who had already emigrated from the advancing revolution and their peculiar turn of thought and wit was well calculated for the meridian of a society that made the dolce far niente at once its philosophy and its faith the prince however was more silent than usual and when he sought to rouse himself his spirits were forced and exaggerated to the manners of his host those of zanoni afforded a striking contrast the bearing of this singular person was at all times characterized by a calm and polished ease which was attributed by the courtiers to the long habit of society he could scarcely be called gay yet few persons more tended to animate the general spirits of a convivial circle he seemed by a kind of intuition to elicit from each companion the qualities in which he most excelled and if occasionally a certain tone of latent mockery characterized his remarks upon the topics on which the conversation fell it appeared to men who took nothing in earnest to be the language of both wit and wisdom to the frenchman in particular there was something startling in his intimate knowledge of the minutest events of their own capital and country and his profound penetration into the eminent characters who were then playing a part upon the great stage of continental intrigue it was while this conversation grew animated and the feast was at its height that glyndon arrived at the palace the porter perceiving by his dress that he was not one of the invited guests told him that his excellency was engaged and on no account could be disturbed and glyndon then for the first time became aware how strange and embarrassing was the duty he had taken on to himself 
to force an entrance into the banquet hall of a great and powerful noble surrounded by the rank of naples and to arraign him for what to his boon companions would appear but an act of gallantry was an exploit that could not fail to be at once ludicrous and impotent he mused a moment and slipping a piece of gold into the porter's hand said that he was commissioned to seek the signor zanoni upon an errand of life and death and easily won his way across the court and into the interior building he passed up the broad staircase and the voices and merriment of the revellers smote his ear at a distance at the entrance of the reception-rooms he found a page whom he dispatched with a message to zanoni the page did the errand and zanoni on hearing the whispered name of glyndon turned to his host pardon me my lord an english friend of mine the signor glyndon awaits without the business must indeed be urgent on which he has sought me in such an hour you will forgive my momentary absence nay signor answered the prince courteously but with a sinister smile on his countenance would it not be better for your friend to join us an englishman is welcome everywhere and even were he a dutchman your friend would invest his presence with attraction pray his attendance we could not spare you for even one moment zanoni bowed the page was dispatched with all flattering messages to glyndon a seat next to zanoni was placed for him and the young englishman entered you're most welcome sir i trust your business to our illustrious guest is of good omen and pleasant import if you bring evil news defer it i pray you glyndon's brow was sullen and he was about to startle the guest by his reply when zanoni touching his arm significantly whispered in english i know why you have sought me be silent and witness what ensues you know then that viola whom you boasted you had the power to save from danger is in this house yes i know also that murder sits at the right hand of our host but his fate is now separated from hers forever and the mirror which glasses it to my eye is clear through the streams of blood be still and learn the fate that awaits the wicked my lord said zanoni speaking aloud the signor glyndon has indeed brought me tidings not wholly unexpected i am compelled to leave naples an additional motive to make the most of the present hour and what if i may venture to ask may be the cause that brings such affliction on the fair dames of naples it is the approaching death of one who honoured me with the most loyal friendship replied zanoni gravely let us not speak of it grief cannot put back the dial as we supply by new flowers those that fade in our vases so it is the secret of worldly wisdom to replace by fresh friendships those that fade from our path true philosophy exclaimed the prince not to admire was the roman's maxim never to mourn is mine there is nothing in life to grieve for save indeed signor zanoni when some young beauty on whom we have set our hearts slips from our grasp in such a moment we have need of all our wisdom not to succumb to despair and shake hands with death what say you signor you smile such never could be your lot pledge me a sentiment long life to the fortunate lover a quick release to the baffled suitor i pledge you said zanoni and as the fatal wine was poured into his glass he repeated fixing his eyes on the prince i pledge you even in this wine he lifted the glass to his lips the prince seemed ghastly pale while the gaze of his guest bent upon him and an intent and stern brightness beneath which the conscience-stricken host cowered and quailed not till he had drained his draught and replaced the glass upon the board did zanoni turn his eyes from the prince and he then said your wine has been kept too long it has lost its virtues 
it might disagree with many but do not fear it will not harm me prince signor mascari you are a judge of the grape will you favor us with your opinion nay answered mascari with well-affected composure i like not the wines of cyprus they are heating perhaps signor glyndon may not have the same distaste the english are said to love their potations warm and pungent do you wish my friend to also taste the wine prince said zanoni recollect all cannot drink it with the same impunity as myself no said the prince hastily if you do not recommend the wine heaven forbid that we should constrain our guests my lord duke turning to one of the frenchmen yours is the true soil of bacchus what do you think of this cast from burgundy has it borne the journey ah said zanoni let us change both the wine and the theme with that zanoni grew yet more animated and brilliant never did wit more sparkling airy exhilarating flash from the lips of reveller his spirits fascinated all present even the prince himself even glyndon with a strange and wild contagion the former indeed whom the words and gaze of zanoni when he drained the poison had filled with fearful misgivings now hailed in the brilliant eloquence of his wit a certain sign of the operation of the bane the wine circulated fast but none seemed conscious of its effects one by one the rest of the party fell into charmed and spellbound silence as zanoni continued to pour forth sally upon sally a tale upon tale they hung on his words they almost held their breath to listen yet how bitter was his mirth how full of contempt for the triflers present and for the triflers which made their life night came on the room grew dim and the feast had lasted several hours longer than was the customary duration of similar entertainments that day still the guests stirred not and still zanoni continued with glittering eye and mocking lip to lavish his stores of intellect and anecdote when suddenly the moon rose and shed its rays over the flowers and fountains in the court without leaving the room itself half in shadow and half tinged by a quiet and ghostly light it was then that zanoni rose well gentlemen said he we have not yet wearied our host i hope and his garden offers new temptation to protract our stay have you no musicians among your train prince that might regale our ears while we inhale the fragrance of your orange trees an excellent thought said the prince muscari see to the music the party rose simultaneously to adjourn to the garden and then for the first time the effect of the wine they had drunk seemed to make itself felt with flushed cheeks and unsteady steps they came into the open air which tended yet more to stimulate that growing fever of the grape as if to make up for the silence with which the guests had hitherto listened to zanoni every tongue was now loosened every man talked no man listened there was something wild and fearful in the contrast between the calm beauty of the night and the scene the hubbub and clamour of these disorderly roisters one of the frenchmen in especial the young duc de r a nobleman of the highest rank and all the quick vivacious irascible temperament of his countrymen was particularly noisy and excited and as circumstances the remembrance of which still preserved among certain circles of naples rendered it afterwards necessary that the duke should himself give evidence of what occurred i will here translate the short account he drew up and which was kindly submitted to me some few years ago by my accomplished and lively friend il cavalier de b i never remember writes the duke to have felt my spirit so excited as on that evening we were like so many boys released from school 
jostling each other as we reeled or ran down the flight of seven or eight stairs that led from the colonnade into the garden, some laughing, some whooping, some scolding, some babbling. The wine had been brought out, as it were, each man's innermost character. Some were loud and quarrelsome, others sentimental and whining, some whom we had hitherto thought dull, most mirthful, some whom we had ever regarded as direct and taciturn, most garrulous and uproarious. I remember that in the midst of our clamorous gaiety my eye fell upon the cavalier Signor Zanoni, whose conversation had so enchanted us all, and I felt a certain chill come over me to perceive that he wore the same calm and unsympathizing smile upon his countenance which had characterized it in his singular and curious stories of the court of Louis the Fourteenth. I felt indeed half inclined to seek a quarrel with one of those whose composure was almost an insult to our disorder. Nor was such an effect of this irritating and mocking tranquillity confined to myself alone. Several of the party told me since, that on looking at Zanoni they felt their blood yet more heated, and gaiety changed to resentment. There seemed in his icy smile a very charm to wound vanity and provoke rage. It was at this moment that the prince came up to me and passing his arm into mine, led me a little apart from the rest. He had certainly indulged in the same excess as ourselves, but it did not produce the same effect of noisy excitement. There was, on the contrary, a certain cold arrogance and supercilious scorn in his bearing and language, which even while affecting so much caressing courtesy towards me, aroused my self-love against him. He seemed as if Zanoni had infected him and in imitating the manner of his guest he surpassed the original he rallied me on some court gossip which had honoured my name by associating it with a certain beautiful and distinguished sicilian lady and affected to treat with contempt that which had it been true i should have regarded as a boast he spoke indeed as if he had gathered all the flowers of naples and left us foreigners only the gleanings he had scorned at this my natural and national gallantry was piqued i retorted by some sarcasms that i should certainly have spared had my blood been cooler he laughed heartily and left me in a strange fit of resentment and anger perhaps the wine had produced in me a wild disposition to take offence and provoke quarrel as the prince left me i turned and saw zanoni at my side the prince is a braggart said he with the same smile that displeased me before he would monopolize all fortune and all love let us take our revenge and how he has at this moment in his house the most enchanting singer in naples the celebrated viola pisani she is here it is true not by her own choice he carried her hither by force but he will pretend that she adores him let us insist on his producing this secret treasure and when she enters the duc de r can have no doubt that his flatteries and intentions will charm the lady and provoke all the jealous fears of our host it would be a fair revenge upon his imperious self-conceit this suggestion delighted me i hastened to the prince at that instant the musicians had just commenced i waved my hand ordered the music to stop and addressing the prince who was standing in the centre of one of the gayest groups complained of his want of hospitality in affording to us such poor proficients in the art while he reserved for his own solace the lute and voice of the first performer in naples i demanded half laughingly half seriously that he should produce the pisani my demand was received with shouts of applause by the rest we drowned the replies of our host with an uproar and would hear no denial gentlemen 
at last said the prince when he could obtain an audience even were i to assent to your proposal i could not induce the signora to present herself before an assemblage as riotous as they are noble you have too much chivalry to use compulsion with her though the duc de r forgets himself sufficiently to administer it to me i was stung by this taunt however well deserved prince said i i have for the indelicacy of compulsion no illustrious example that i cannot hesitate to pursue the path honoured by your own footsteps all naples knows that the pisani despises at once your gold and your love that force alone could have brought her under your roof and that you refuse to produce her because you fear her complaints and know enough of the chivalry your vanity sneers at to feel assured that the gentlemen of france are not more disposed to worship beauty than to defend it from wrong you speak well sir said zanoni gravely the prince dares not produce his prize the prince remained speechless for a few moments as if with indignation at last he broke out into expressions the most injurious and insulting against signor zanoni and myself zanoni replied not i was a lot more hot and hasty the guests appeared to delight in our dispute none except mascari whom we pushed aside and disdained to hear strove to conciliate some took one side some another the issue may be well foreseen swords were called for and procured two were offered me by one of the party i was about to choose one when zanoni placed in my hand the other which from its hilt appeared of antiquated workmanship at the same moment looking towards the prince he said smilingly the duke takes your grandsire's sword prince are you too brave a man for superstition you have forgot the forfeit our host seemed to me to recoil and turn pale at those words nevertheless he returned zanoni's smile with a look of defiance the next moment all was broil and disorder there might be some six or eight persons engaged in a strange and confused kind of melee but the prince and myself only sought each other the noise around us the confusion of the guests the cries of the musicians the clash of our own swords only served to stimulate our unhappy fury we feared to be interrupted by the attendants and fought like madmen without skill or method i thrust and parried mechanically blind and frantic as if a demon had entered into me till i saw the prince stretched at my feet bathed in his blood and zanoni bending over him and whispering in his ear that sight cooled us all the strife ceased we gathered in shame remorse and horror round our ill-fated host but it was too late his eyes rolled fearfully in his head i have seen many men die but never one who wore such horror on his countenance at last all was over zanoni arose from the corpse and taking with great composure the sword from my hand said calmly ye are witnesses gentlemen that the prince brought this fate upon himself the last of that illustrious house has perished in a brawl i saw no more of zanoni i hastened to our envoy to narrate the event and abide the issue i am grateful to the neapolitan government and to the illustrious heir of the unfortunate nobleman for the lenient and generous yet just interpretation put upon a misfortune the memory of which will afflict me the, to the last hour of my life signed louis victor duc de r the above memorial the reader will find the most exact and minute account yet given of an event which created the most lively sensation at naples in that day glyndon had taken no part in the affray neither had he participated largely in the excesses of the revel 
for his exemption from both he was perhaps indebted to the whispered exhortations of zanoni when the last rose from the corpse and withdrew from the scene of confusion glyndon remarked that in passing the crowd he touched mascari on the shoulder and said something which the englishman did not overhear glyndon followed zanoni into the banquet-room which save where the moonlight slept on the marble floor was wrapped in the sad and glooming shadows of the advancing night how could you foretell this fearful event he fell not by your arm said glyndon in a tremulous and hollow tone the general who calculates on the victory does not fight in person answered zanoni let the past sleep with the dead meet me at midnight by the seashore half a mile to the left of your hotel you will know the spot by a rude pillar the only one near to which a broken chain is attached there and then if thou wouldst learn our lore thou shalt find the master go i have business here yet remember viola is still in the house of the dead man here mascari approached and zanoni turning to the italian and waving his hand to glyndon drew the former aside glyndon slowly departed mascari said zanoni your patron is no more your services will be valueless to his heir a sober man whom poverty has preserved from vice for yourself thank me that i did not give you up to the executioner recollect the wine of cyprus well never tremble man it could not act on me though it might react on others in that it is a common type of crime i forgive you and if the wine should kill me i promise you that my ghost shall not haunt so worshipful a penitent enough of this conduct me to the chamber of viola pisani you have no further need of her the death of the jailer opens the cell of the captive be quick i would be gone mascari muttered some inaudible words bowed low and led the way to the chamber in which viola was confined Merck, tell me therefore what thou seekest after and what thou wilt have what dost thou desire to make alch the philosopher's stone it wanted several minutes of midnight and glyndon repaired to the appointed spot the mysterious empire which zanoni had acquired over him was still more solemnly confirmed by the events of the last few hours the sudden fate of the prince so deliberately foreshadowed and yet so seemingly accidental brought out by causes the most commonplace and yet associated with words the most prophetic impressed him with the deepest sentiments of admiration and awe it was as if this dark and wondrous being could convert the most ordinary events and the meanest instruments into the agencies of his inscrutable will yet if so why have permitted the capture of viola why not have prevented the crime rather than punish the criminal and did zanoni really feel love for viola love and yet offer to resign her to himself to a rival whom his arts could not have failed to baffle he no longer reverted to the belief that zanoni or viola had sought to dupe him into marriage his fear and reverence for the former now forbade the notion of so poor an impostor did he any longer love viola himself no when that morning he had heard of her danger he had and it is true returned to the sympathies and fears of affection but with the death of the prince her image faded from his heart and he felt no jealous pang at the thought that she had been saved by zanoni that at that moment she was perhaps beneath his roof whoever has in the course of his life indulged in the absorbing passion of the gamester will remember how all other pursuits and objects vanished from his mind how solely he was wrapped in the one wild delusion 
with what a scepter of magic power the despot demon ruled every feeling and every thought far more intense than the passion of the gamester was the frantic yet sublime desire that mastered the breast of glyndon he would be the rival of zanoni not in human and perishable affections but in the preternatural and eternal lore he would have laid down life with content nay rapture as the price of learning those solemn secrets which separated the stranger from mankind enamoured of the goddess of goddesses he stretched forth his arms the wild axion and embraced a cloud the night was most lovely and serene and the waves scarcely rippled at his feet as the englishman glided by the cool and starry beach at length he arrived at the spot and there leaning against the broken pillar he beheld a man wrapped in a long mantle and in an attitude of profound repose he approached and uttered the name zanoni the figure turned and he saw the face of a stranger a face not stamped by the glorious beauty of zanoni but an equally majestic in its aspect and perhaps still more impressive from the mature age and the passionless depth of thought that characterized the expanded forehead and deep-set but piercing eyes you seek zanoni said the stranger he will be here anon but perhaps he whom you see before you is more connected with your destiny and more disposed to realize your dreams hath the earth then another zanoni if not replied the stranger why do you cherish the hope that the wild faith to be yourself is zanoni you think that none others have burned with the same godlike dream who indeed in his first youth youth when the soul is nearer to the heaven from which it sprang and its divine primal longings are not all effaced by the sordid passions and petty cares that are begot in time who is there in youth that has not nourished the belief that the universe has secrets not known to the common herd and panted as the heart for the water springs for the fountains that lie hid and far away amidst the broad wilderness of trackless science the music of the fountain is heard in the soul within till the steps deceiving and erring rove away from its waters and the wanderer dies in the mighty desert do you think that none who have cherished the hope have found the truth or that the yearning after the ineffable knowledge has given us to utterly in vain no every desire in human hearts is but a glimpse of things that exist alike distant and divine no in the world there have been from age to age some brighter and happier spirits who have attained to the air in which the beings above mankind move and breathe zanoni great though he be stands not alone he has had his predecessors and long lines of successors may yet to come and will you tell me said glyndon that in yourself i behold one of that mighty few over whom zanoni has no superiority in power and wisdom in me answered the stranger you see one from whom zanoni himself learned some of his loftiest secrets on these shores on this spot i have stood in ages that your chroniclers but feebly reach the phoenician the greek the oscan the roman the lombard i have seen them all leaves gay and glittering on the trunk of the universal life scattered in due season and again renewed till indeed that same race that gave its glory to the ancient world bestowed a second youth upon the new for the pure greeks the hellenines whose origin has bewildered your dreaming scholars were of the same great family as the norman tribe born to be the lords of the universe and in no land on earth destined to become the hewers of wood 
even the dim traditions of the learned which bring the sons of hellas from the vast and undetermined territories of northern thrace to be the victors of the pastoral palashi and the founders of the demigods which assigned to a population bronzed beneath the sons of the west the blue-eyed minerva and the yellow-haired achilles which introduced amongst a pastoral people warlike aristocracies and limited monarchies the feudalism of the classic time even these might serve you to trace back the primeval settlements of the hellenes to the same region whence in later times the norman warriors broke on the dull and savage hordes of the celt and became the greeks of the christian world but this interests you not and you are wise in your indifference not in the knowledge of things without but in the perfection of the soul within lies the empire of man aspiring to be more than man and what books contain that science from what laboratory is it wrought nature supplies the materials they are around you in your daily walks in the herbs that the beast devours and the chemist disdains to call in the elements from which matter in its meanest and its mightiest shapes is deduced in the wide bosom of the air in the black abyss of the earth everywhere are given to mortals the resources and libraries of immortal lore but as the simplest problems of the simplest of all studies are obscure to one who braces not his mind to their comprehension as the rower in yonder vessel cannot tell you why two circles can touch each other only in one point so though all earth were carved over and inscribed with the letters of diviner knowledge the characters would be valueless to him who does not pause to inquire the language and meditate the truth young man if thy imagination is vivid if thy heart is daring if thy curiosity is insatiate i will accept thee as my pupil but the first lessons are stern and dread if thou hast mastered them why not i answered glyndon boldly i have felt from my boyhood that strange mysteries were reserved for my career and from the proudest ends of ordinary ambition i have carried my gaze into the cloud and darkness that stretch beyond the instant i held zanoni i felt as if i had discovered the guide and the tutor from which my youth had idly languished and vainly burned and to me this duty is transferred replied the stranger yonder lies anchored in the bay the vessel in which zanoni seeks a fairer home a little while and the breeze will rise and the sail will swell and the stranger will have passed like a wind away still like the wind he leaves in thy heart the seeds that may bear the blossom of the fruit zanoni hath performed his task he is wanted no more the perfecter of his work is at thy side he comes i hear the dash of the oar you will have your choice submitted to you according as you decide we shall meet again with these words the stranger moved slowly away and disappeared beneath the shadow of the cliffs a boat glided rapidly across the waters it touched land a man leaped on shore and glyndon recognized zanoni i give thee glyndon i give thee no more the option of happy love and serene enjoyment that hour is past and fate has linked the hand that might have been thine own to mine but i have ample gifts to bestow upon thee if thou wilt abandon the hope that gnaws thy heart and the realization of which even i have not the power to foresee be thine ambition human and i can gratify it to the full men desire four things in life love wealth fame power the first i cannot give thee the rest are at my disposal select which of them thou wilt and let us part in peace such are not the gifts i covet i choose knowledge that knowledge must be thine own 
for this and for this alone i surrender the love of viola this and this alone must be my recompense i cannot gainsay thee though i can warn the desire to learn does not always contain the faculty to acquire i can give thee it is true the teacher the rest must depend on thee be wise in time and take that which i can assure to thee answer me but these questions and according to your answer i will decide is it in the power of man to attain intercourse with the beings of other worlds is it in the power of man to influence the elements and to ensure life against the sword and against disease all this may be possible answered zanoni evasively to the few but for one who attains such secrets millions may perish in the attempt one question more thou beware of myself as i have said before i render no account well then the stranger i have met this night are his boasts to be believed is he in truth one of the chosen seers whom you allow to have mastered the mysteries i yearn to fathom rash man said zanoni in a tone of compassion thy crisis is past and thy choice made i can only bid thee to be bold and prosper yes i resign thee to a master who has the power and will to open thee the gates of an awful world they weal or woe are as not in the eyes of his relentless wisdom i would bid him spare thee but he will heed me not mejnor receive thy pupil glyndon turned and his heart beat when he perceived that the stranger whose footsteps he had not heard upon the pebbles whose approach he had not beheld in the moonlight was once more by his side farewell resumed zanoni thy trial commences when next we meet thou wilt be the victim or the victor glyndon's eyes followed the receding form of the mysterious stranger he saw him enter the boat and he then for the first time noticed that besides the rowers there was a female who stood up as zanoni gained the boat even at the distance he recognized the once adored form of viola she waved her hand to him and across the still shining air came her voice mournfully and sweetly in her mother's tongue farewell clarence i forgive thee farewell farewell he strove to answer but his voice touched a chord at his heart and the words failed him viola was then lost for ever gone with this dread stranger darkness was round her lot and he himself had decided her fate and his own the boat bounded on the soft waves flashed and sparkled beneath the oars and it was along one sapphire track of moonlight that the frail vessel bore away the lovers farther and farther from his gaze sped the boat till at last the speck scarcely visible touched the side of the ship that lay lifeless in the glorious bay if at that instant as if by magic up sprang with a glad murmur the playful and refreshing wind and glyndon turned to mejnor and broke the silence tell me if thou canst read the future tell me that her lot will be fair that her choice is at least wise my pupil answered mejnor in a voice the calmness of which well accorded with the chilling words thy first task must be to withdraw all thought feeling and sympathy from others the elementary stage of knowledge is to make self and self alone thy study and thy world thou hast decided thine own career thou hast renounced love thou hast rejected wealth fame and the vulgar pomps of power what then are all mankind to thee to perfect thy faculties and concentrate thy emotions is hence for thy only aim and will happiness be the end if happiness exist answered mejnor 
it must be centered in a self to which all passion is unknown but happiness is the last state of being and as yet thou art on the threshold of the first as mejnour spoke the distant vessel spread its sails to the wind and moved slowly along the deep glyndon sighed and the pupil and the master retraced their steps towards the city End of chapter 14. Recording by Kirk Ziegler, Ogden, Utah, voiceover-solutions.com.